Hello and welcome to episode 134 of the NFL Scotland podcast. That's it. The championship games are done. We know who's playing in Super Bowl 55. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. Welcome to the cookery special of NFL Scotland. A million things you can do with grated cheese coming up. <laughs> and to do all that, we have our very own cheese head him- himself. Uh, we've given him a little bit of time to recover, but not a lot, uh, as we're recording a little bit earlier this week. But welcome, Charles Parson. Charles, the floor is yours. Get it off your chest, first of all, and then we can move forward from there. Well, I don't know what to say, really, other than... Um, I think if we'd recorded this on Sunday night after the game, which was actually being debated about, there was a there was a suggestion, oh, why don't you do a live Zoom, Charles? And then there was a, oh, don't be a chicken. You should really be getting involved with the live Zoom. Probably a good idea that I didn't because <laughs> it wouldn't have been broadcastable. <laughs> Based on feedback, that's the content people like the best. So, <laughs> you know, we may be missing an opportunity here. Well, we have standards to uphold. As well. So I was just saying before we came on air there that um, I got up yesterday uh, and I was off yesterday, which is a rare Monday off for me. And I was homeschooling the boys and my eldest is a bit of a Packers fan now as well. And I didn't tell him the result and he never asked me about it because he'd obviously gone to bed before it kicked off. And it was only at tea time he twigged um, that he hadn't spoken to me about it. And he asked, what happened? And my wife said, well, do you think if they'd won, dad would have told you the result when you woke up and you should have just seen his little face falling. He was just so disappointed for me. I think he was genuinely disappointed for himself. And then he went, they're not playing the Super Bowl. And I went, nope, they're not playing in the Super Bowl. And my six-year-old, who is, uh, for some strange reason, a Jaguars fan, said, well, dad, they just had a bad day. There's always next time. So I was brought back down to earth quite quickly. (laughs) Children can certainly, uh, certainly tell it how it is. (laughs) <laughs> there is always next time however i guess that's a narrative and a story that's been all too frequently said hasn't it and it the packers rightly went into this game with a lot of confidence you know they were favorites to go into it um we put the vote out on the nfl scotland twitter feed and hardly anybody went for the bucks there was a bigger split between uh, sorry the split between the bills and the chiefs was much narrower than what people thought between the the bucks and the packers Having to go up to Lambeau, Brady in the cold, fine, all of these stories were talked about. I think the one thing about Brady in the cold that negates is Brady in January is almost a different beast again. And and it's not like it was never cold in New England, for goodness sake. Uh, it's not something that he's not been able to do. There's stories there, there's narrative. Fine, towards the end of the season, Brady and the Patriots might have slipped a little bit, but when it comes to January, he really, really is exceptional. Well, let's get the Brady narrative out of the way. Brady didn't have a very good game. So um, I think we can dispel all the stuff about the fact that he won the game for them and the better quarterback was playing in green and yellow. I've had a little bit of time to chew this over and kind of think about why they've lost this. And this is basically down to mistakes. There were stacks of mistakes in the game and Green Bay made more mistakes than Tampa Bay. And that's the, the God honest truth. The game was extremely close. And when you consider that, they were 28-10 down going into the middle of the third quarter. For them to bring it back to where they did, they should still have won it. They should still have won it. And this is this, this is the game, I think, this is the NFC Championship defeat that is going to sting the most for, for the Packers because if you look over the last 10 years since they won the Super Bowl, um, they've had four championship defeats in seven seasons, I think it is. And there were two embarrassing blowouts in there. And then there was the meltdown in Seattle seven years ago, which I think if you played that game a thousand times, it would never happen again. This is the one that they should have won. 
even though they were down. This is the one that they will look back on and think, why did we do this? What happened? And all the good things that have happened this season, all the positivity on offense and all the, the clean plays and the the, the the unanimous force almost that existed between Matt LaFleur and his offense, it all it was all broken up. Nothing quite went right. I mean, I've made a list of all the mistakes that the Packers made and there were mistakes by the Buccaneers as well. I mean, they, their receivers dropped a bunch of passes, but just to go through this, Aaron Jones fumbles it twice. One of those is turned is turned over. Equinemius St. Brown drops a two-point conversion in the end zone. Rogers throws an interception, which Alan Lazard has already admitted was a bad route by himself. There were two turnovers, two short fields. Devontae Adams drops a pass in the end zone. Green Bay failed to score a touchdown twice in goal-to-go situations. Now, their previous 25 goal-to-go situations, they'd, they'd got a touchdown in 24 of them. And they failed twice. They had an 80% efficiency in the red zone throughout the entire season. That's the highest in NFL history. And they couldn't do it when it matters. I mean, Rogers should have run on third down and run into the end zone instead of tries to throw it. They, there were so many mistakes. And that's before we get to Kevin King. <laughs> and that's before we get to Matt LaFleur and Mike Pettin. And so... You, you look at it and think, ultimately, in a big game situation, in any sport, it doesn't matter whether it's the NFL, your big players have got to execute and your leaders have got to make the right decisions. And there were bad decisions made and there was mistakes. And the one thing I am not going to blame is officiating because they officiated the game the whole way through in the same manner until the last play, pretty much. It's nothing to do with officiating mistakes that they're out. It's their own fault. That's it. Can I just say that this sounds a little bit like last week when the Saints went out because they made more mistakes than the Bucks. However, what I would say, Charles, is I wish that Tom Brady had turned the ball over as often uh, against the Saints as he did against the Packers because the Saints would have got through. I think that's the biggest difference on the narrative. The Saints made too many mistakes against the Bucks. The Bucks were pretty disciplined. In your game, as you've outlined, you know, all those mistakes by the Packers, much more than the Saints, it should be said, despite the fact the Saints turned it over four times. It's the fact that Brady gave you the ball twice with horrific throws. I mean, utterly horrific throws, which I think takes away slightly from the Brady narrative. I thought it was brilliant in the first half, as calm as can be. And then those two throws in the second half, of which you scored nothing. Yeah, absolutely and, nothing. I know, and and you know, you look at the, you look at the five turnovers in the game, the two turnovers um, that Tampa Bay capitalized on. Both of them were in Green Bay territory. One of them was a very short field, and the other one, you know, I think was on about the thirty or 40, 40 yard line. And they cashed in on both of them. The three interceptions, all Green Bay's starting position after picking the ball off, was way deep in their own territory, and they didn't take advantage of it. Having said that, he's giving you the ball. If you told me at the start of the game that he was going to throw three picks, I would have said Green Bay are going to win by 35 points. Mm, so, do you know, it, there were circumstances which conspired, but the two things which, well, they are going to get analysed to death for the next six months, and Matt LaFleur has already talked about it, was just before halftime. That, I mean, that was unforgivable what happened with the last play of the half. Um, the call to go man coverage on the 50-yard line you know, Tampa take a shot. Fair play to them. That's what Bruce Arians does. You know, the fortune favors the brave, and that happened in the second game as well. The team that was brave 
won the game. The team that took risks won the game. This is an offensive league. And they went for it and they got their rewards. What Kevin King was doing, I don't know. I'm sure he's a lovely guy and I'm sure he's, you know, a, a perfectly acceptable cornerback, but I'm quite happily to stick him in a box and mail him to Antarctica. And I think most Packers fans would agree that Kevin King will probably not see the field for them ever again because he got burned all day. I think he'd been a doubt going into the game. If he wasn't fit, why was he in man coverage with the fastest man on the field? It's madness. And Mike Pettin will will probably walk or probably be, be sacked for that call. Um, and then you've got Matt LaFleur's decision to take a field goal. And that is totally against what he has done through the course of the season in terms of his coaching. And it's almost like he was overthinking it. With two minutes to go, you've got four downs inside the goal area. Go for it. You've got probably the greatest quarterback of the last 20 years in terms of skill and talent at your disposal. Trust him to make the play. But no, they kicked the field goal and that was it. They never saw the ball back. And the decision-making and the mistakes, they will be looking at that for months. And it's a long, long off-season and they've only got themselves to blame. And it's just so disappointing because I really did think that this was the year and I I really did think that ultimately they had got all the pieces together and they've just, they've blown it. That's it. Simple as that. A couple of things that you talked about there that I think are worth going into. One is the Brady narrative because absolutely lots and lots of praise for Tom Brady and I think that yeah coming out of that game it wasn't down to his performance if you go back to the last time the Bucks played the Packers without Tom Brady uh, Jameis Winston was under center uh, Green Bay won that game 26-20 after overtime Jameis Winston on the day was 21 for 32 270 yards two touchdowns and no interceptions so actually take that one out and Winston was better than Brady did and it if you look at the numbers, three three touchdowns, three interceptions, it's like Jameis Winston was under centre for the Buccaneers. Uh, yeah. This was not down to Brady. It's not. Give him the throw for Scotty Miller, right? That was an absolutely tremendous throw. Um, and, it, and it came at a time that was so important. Just on the turnover at the end of the, the second uh, quarter, just before the break, where it looked like it was going to be the Packers that went in, uh, possibly going to go in in the lead. Um and, and they, they go in with a 10-point advantage. It's, it's unreal. Um, and then they scored straight off the turnover at the start of the second half as well. I mean, that was a huge turning point. But the, the, the interesting thing for me, you've got to give all the credit to the Tampa defence um, in terms of their pass rush because they never gave him a, a chance. Um, having said that, Rogers still throws for 350 yards. The, the game turned for me, actually, and I think, I, and this, you know, there's no point in, crying about it after the event but I think if they had leveled the scores I think Green Bay would have gone on to win the game because they lost um, Tampa lost their both their starting safeties and that completely changed the game the pass rush kind of diminished a bit and I was I made a point in the first half which Gordon who's not here poo-pooed the fact that they need to keep running the ball and by and large all the good things have come off play action and Aaron Jones just couldn't get going at all and because they couldn't run the ball, Rodgers was being, was being forced to throw it on first and second down rather than the third down. And if you're first and goal to go, invariably Green Bay chuck a running play in there. But they didn't do it. There were six times they were first and goal to go and they threw it every time and they didn't cash in. And that was because the running game got stifled by Tampa's front four. And the safeties going out of the game took the pressure off Rodgers. And that is why they came back. And I, it's even though they had a big deficit, you did feel that actually the momentum was with them. 
and that it was it was going to work out for them because I couldn't see Tampa. I couldn't see Tampa doing anything in terms of scoring. I mean, they got picked off three times in the fourth quarter. It's extraordinary what happened in the fourth quarter. The first seven or eight minutes of that fourth quarter was was just bizarre because Brady was just lobbing up. Green Bay players were catching it and then they couldn't offensively do any, anything with it. And all the credit has got to go to the front four of Tampa. They were terrific. And they are going to be a huge threat in the Super Bowl against um, Kansas City because Kansas City have lost their two starting tackles. Yep. Um, that that could be the that's where the game could be won and lost. Yeah, and it, and it's it, it's bizarre looking back at that game and and the roller coaster that it was that the fourth quarter was the lowest scoring quarter in the whole game because it was there was so much happened and actually I I felt disappointed and just a little bit like the game petered out towards the end uh, and I genuinely thought Green Bay were going to come into it but in the end the problem was that Green Bay chased that game the whole time and never got the ability to they, they never caught up uh, and i, I said it was got a, in front yeah and I it think was, if they it, got in front they would have they would have they would have they would have motored away and do you know it, listen matt lafleur will be he, he will have nightmares about the decision to go for the field goal and apparently it's analytics um it's it was the it increased the percentage chance of winning by three percent or some nonsense that's see, garbage see, char- Charles, this this is nonsense. So so a couple of things. One, the turning point in the New Orleans Saints game against Tampa Bay was the Saints led 2013 and Cook, the tight end, got turned over. You know, if we drive and score there, I believe the Saints win. So I, I, I can feel your pain. But this analytics nonsense, and to me, that is that is utter bollocks. Now, people know on this podcast, I'm a fan of the Tampa Bay Rays. Game six, World Series, our star pitcher is on the mound. He is lights out. And the analytics suggest that we pull them, which we'd done in previous situations in the regular season. And that's what they did. And the next guy in got lit up and the Rays lost. The analytics are there, but you must use your eyes and assess the whole situation. The Rays should have kept Snelling. Utterly, no doubt about that, you know, based on, I don't care what had gone before, but you had to just look and see. And it's the same for, for you guys, you've got to ignore the analytics and see what's going on right in front of you. How many polls have you seen on Twitter and things like that over the last few years? If you had one quarterback of the last 20, 25 years to take you down the field, to score you a touchdown, to win you a game, who would it be? And Aaron Rodgers consistently comes out on top. Green Bay had that. And Matt Lafleur with just a brain fart of you know it's almost like the you you talk about the one in the first half that was as bad a call as Greg Williams' call, uh, yeah. you know for, for the Jets against Oakland. But at least he 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 had a reason to do that. Now whether you agree with the reason or not, um, but this one was just so out of character. It was simple prevent defence that had to be there, um, and you know I don't think if you were to sit Bruce Arians down. He's probably chuckling because I think he's gotten away with two games. As I say, the defense has played well, but I think they could have lost both games quite easily. Yeah, I don't think the Bucks have played very well. And the analytics thing for me is where analytics falls down is analytics does not consider context. And that's the bit that's missing from the conversation. That's exactly the, the piece there. Fine. In this scenario, on average, it may equal this. But what that doesn't consider is everything that's gone before it. And and the very fact that the momentum's in your sales there. By going for that field goal, that momentum's just kind of petered out. And again, you walked away from that going, that just doesn't feel like the right call. So you cannot contextualize an analytics that, and that 
sort of mental impact of doing something like that on your players, given the size of the game, given the opposition, given the fact that, exactly as you said, Charles, the area that they were sort of impacted in was the safeties, not necessarily the people who would be on the field to recover the onside kick, not the people that then when Tampa are in possession of the ball, you need your defense that's not really, okay, fine, there's been three interceptions. Brady's not going to be lobbing the ball at this point of the game. He's going to game manage it. What the context there is, this is Tom Brady you're up against. Not some bum quarterback that's prone to make a mistake. Not someone that's going to be running around and give you the opportunity to knock the ball out or anything like that. The context of the situation doesn't come into play when it comes to analytics, and that's where head coaches need to read that. Lafleur, let's... I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say this is the first time... Well, it's not the first time because they were in the championship game last year, but that was a that was a blowout. They weren't in that game. That's... Pressure. He's never been in a pressure position like he was there. He made a yeah, call I'm gonna, I'm and he went to analytics. And do you know what? He will learn from that. And I think yeah. Green Bay have got a great head coach that can do great things there. And you look at this team and you look, and actually, I do think this team's got a lot of holes in it. Yet they're in the championship game and they went into that as a number one seed and they were the favorite. So they were a touchdown away from being in the Super Bowl. That's massive. And I think that he's got a really good setup there. There's other questions that will come on to the well, I'm sure, but fine, mistakes were made. There's other things there as well. I think Rodgers a couple of times made the wrong call in the red zone. There was times where he went for his first option, maybe second option, and actually the third option was available. Now, again, context there is that he was under pressure, like you said, from that uh, Tampa Bay defense that really were on top of him all the time, which made him second question his reads made him go, there's a guy that's half open there, I'm not even going to look for read three, I'm going to take read two, because I know if I take too long, there's going to be some boy on me, and I'm going to get absolutely smashed. I cannot risk that, I'm taking that option. And then when you look back at the replays, there was one that, you know, Devontae Adams was wide open. There was one there that Lazard would have been the better option rather than uh, Adams in the, in the end zone and things like that. That's great with hindsight. In the heat of the moment, the context says you can't have that time to make those decisions. And just a couple of things like that just came the wrong side up. You know, it was unfortunate. And there's question marks even about the defense. And we talked about this on WhatsApp as well, where there was times it was too easy. That opening drive was very simple. Um, and that's fine. That doesn't matter if you're scoring all the time. But actually, you, there was... a couple of missed tackles that could have been really big, important third downs, again, could have been momentum changers that just didn't land quite as you'd want it to. And, and it felt like, yeah, those 50-50 calls were all landing Buccaneers side up. The Brady effect. How often have we seen it with the Patriots? You know, we talk about fortune. And again, analytics don't account for fortune and favor with whatever karma, whatever deal with the devil he's done. Um Oh, no, that's Robert Kraft. Anyways, different story. Um, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? There's things like that. Yeah. that just, it just always seems to land butter side up for Brady, and it's unreal. Uh, I, mean, I, I mean, listen, again, you know, no disrespect. I, I mean, I'm not – I'm an admirer of Brady as a football player. He's got really horribly shiny teeth. He's, got, <laughs> he's married to a supermodel, and he's intensely annoying. Um, and, you know, it was funny. I, someone sent me a message, which I think, which I think I'd sent on to you, where Brady's record over the last <laughs> um, 20 years involved in the, you know, in, in, his, in his career. And obviously there's a, it was a few, it was a bitter Packers fan, bailed by Vinatieri, carried by the defence, owned by the Giants, bailed by Malcolm Butler, bailed by Julian Edelman. And it's like, right, okay, listen, give him some credit. He's done pretty well. However... 
get rid of this narrative that he has carried Tampa Bay to the Super Bowl because he didn't. He got them into the playoffs. I don't think there's any question of that. And he was excellent over the second half of the season. But the defense has stepped up and they made plays, but they were they took risks. They they took risks and Green Bay were conservative. And you know, you saw that in the second game when Buffalo were conservative as well. You can't take risk, you've got to seize the moment. And I think you know, you, you're giving Matt LaFleur a free pass there. I am too up to a point. This is only his second year as a head coach. And this this is gonna haunt him. It will haunt everybody. And the the, the problem is they're in this window now with Rogers whereby you don't know when it's going to come to an end, but you know it's coming to an end. You know that the train is heading towards the station and he's going to get off and then he's gone. And you've got to make the most of, of him as he is at the moment, which is still arguably the best player in the league at times. And it, it's just a huge missed opportunity. And that's the thing I think that is going to be hurting everybody, really. And, you know, we don't. I, I fully expect him to be back next season. Beyond that, that's the question. And you do wonder whether this is the best opportunity they've had with the home field advantage to get back to the Super Bowl. Yep. Well, I'm not giving him a pass. I thought it was an appalling call. Uh, analytics or not, I thought it was appalling. Um, and when probably 95 to 98% of people watching pretty much knew you had to go for it, you've got to go for it. You've got to have the courage of your convictions. I don't care whether you're a first-year head coach, second-year head coach, or a 12th-year head coach. That was an appalling decision uh, to do that. What what would have been the worst that would happen if they hadn't got it? They were going to have to try and turn the ball over from there. Um, okay, you then were still going to have to get the two-point conversion. I get that. But your best chance was to go for it there and then because you've got a 100% chance of it happening. Giving the ball back to the defence, you had, what, at best, 50-50 chance of getting it back. And I would suggest you probably had a, only about a 20% chance of getting it back. Because as you said, it it wasn't some bum they were up against. If you thought Tom Brady wasn't going to be able to see that out, then quite frankly, you're a poor judge of quarterbacks. I yeah. just wonder why coaches overthink it sometimes. Especially, I mean, listen, we've never coached in, in that environment you know, we, we, we commentate on sport and we, we, we interview sportsmen and women and, and coaches all the time. But you can't get inside someone's head in a high-pressure situation. It's a bit like in a penalty shootout when someone's walking up to take a penalty to win a cup. You don't know what's going on. You have to be trained in that environment. And why Matt LaFleur made that decision, he, only he'll know. And he's already second-guessed himself and said, you know what, it was the wrong call. And it was a dreadful decision, but I think... For that to take away from all the good work that's been done, I don't think that that's necessarily right. I actually thought in parts that the the, the defensive game plan that they had, Green Bay, it kind of worked to a point because they shut the run down. Um, apart from one Leonard Fournette run, who made, and he looked like Ladanian Tomlinson meets <laughs> Emmett Smith meets Barry Sanders, which was extraordinary. Other than that, they kept them under three yards of carry. And both teams shut the run down pretty well. And that actually... And Brady at one point I just kind of abandoned it and just decided I'm just going to chuck it long. And if that was the game plan of Tampa Bay, so be it. But it actually played into their hands in the fourth quarter for Green Bay because then they did pick him off. And, you know, there's there's a lot of flaws in that Tampa Bay team as well. And we I said halfway through the season, I thought the AFC was a far superior conference to the NFC. And I stand by that. But I do think that the Packers had hit such a rich vein of form 
that whoever, if they got through, they would have stood a great chance in the Super Bowl. So that's just the killer for me. Yeah. Um, let's not, obviously, not give the Bucks some credit with this one. I agree, like... If we look at what they did last season under seven and nine with Jameis Winston, right? And you look at the talent that they've added, and they've added Leonard Fournette. Now, there's a lot of question marks around him at Jacksonville. He's not a, a completely talentless running back and actually gave Brady an option that Winston didn't have, which was a big back that he could just hand that ball off to and just plug a couple of yards. Uh, obviously, last season, Mike Evans missed three games. Mike Evans didn't miss any games this year. Um, they added Antonio Brown. You've got things like Devin White, who's turned into an absolute monster linebacker into his second season and things like that. Brady has got a better Buccaneers team than Jameis Winston had last year. I believe that is definitely the case. Um, you look at those games last year as well. Now, here's the difference between Brady and Winston is Brady just doesn't give the ball away nearly as much. But if you look at the points that he's able to put up, um, Winston was perfectly able of scoring. Um, and therefore, I think this Buccaneers team has been is a good team. It's been held back by Jameis Winston's turnover rate. And I think that if Jameis had got on top of that turnover rate, this team would have been relevant before now, I guess is the key point there. I don't think Brady has suddenly elevated this team beyond all recognition. I think this team was a decent enough team. You go back to the season before, and it's obviously they finished 7-9. Two of those games went to overtime. So again, flip of the switch, the other way around, that's two more wins. They lost one of those games by one point. They lost one of those games by three. They lost one of those games by four. Um, you know, I think all but three of their defeats were within a single score and therefore they were they were relevant they were in games so it's not like Brady suddenly rocketed this team to great heights it's never been to before and I am a little bit sympathetic to the Bucks because I've got I have no issues with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers you know I've got no issues with them as a franchise but I do not I'm bored of Brady and I don't want to see Antonio Brown win a Super Bowl. So I'm immediately backing against them, not because of the Buccaneers, because actually Devin White, I think, is a great player. There's a lot of likable things there. Um, I've got a lot of time for Chris Godwin. I think he's really exciting. I actually really like Leonard Fournette. But I just, I can't, yeah, I can't abide Antonio Brown at all. Uh, and I'm just bored. I'm just bored of Brady. The other thing that's come out this week is, and, and this is, we were talking about this on the, our WhatsApp group as well, is, and the wording here is very, very important. There was a lot of people talking about Brady being the greatest athlete in sport ever, right? <laughs> Which is just an absolute nonsense because he's not overly athletic. Um, he's highly decorated in his sport, more so than anybody else. The things he's done as a quarterback, nobody's ever achieved. Greatest of all time, yeah, I think that's a conversation that, you know, it's going to take some beating. Um and again, when we come on to the Super Bowl, we can talk about the whole Darth Vader versus Luke Skywalker battle that we're going to have in the Super Bowl. But, um, you know, Brady is an exceptional talent. Best, greatest athlete of all time is absolutely nonsense. Just a nonsense conversation. Greatest sportsman. Yes, but, but, you, sportsman but you're maybe, taking but... it in, in, into that, the difference between an MVP and the best player in the league. It's that similar dynamic. They're two different things. I think what you're mentioning is two different things. To be the best athlete suggests, you know, the best skills, athletic ability and things like that. He will be the most decorated. I've heard it argued that he's now the most successful team sports person, even better than Michael Jordan 
for what he's done. So there's an interesting take as well. If we are going to give a little bit of credit to Tom Brady, and I'm going to, is that Tom Brady, when he decided to leave New England, basically had his pick of where he wanted to go and identified a good team with a good coach, with solid players, with a little bit of addition in personnel and a subtraction of error, plus the sunshine of Florida. Uh, he knew he was going to go somewhere that had a chance to go to. I, I'm not sure he was convinced to go to the Super Bowl, but I certainly believe he thought he could have got to the championship game. And he's done that. So I think in those terms of all the evaluations, you've got to give him credit for that. He picked a team that's got a great offensive line and yeah. good Good Brady teams over the years have had an offensive line that protects him. He gets the ball out faster than anybody else. I constantly harp on about I think he's the best game manager the game's ever seen. He's clinical, but he's not the greatest quarterback of all time. I can have that argument on an entire podcast series. We'll do that. We'll like, do that. And I'm not, no, well, we'll do that when we're really <laughs> bored in April and we're in our 17th lockdown. But listen, he's no daft. Let's be frank. He knows exactly. He knew exactly where he was going. If he'd wanted to go to the sunshine of Florida, he had a number of different. He could have gone to Jacksonville. Well, that was a good idea not to do that. He could have gone to Miami. No, he went to a team that he wanted. He he was going to win. He want. He's a winner, and give him credit for that. I may not like him, but I have to give credit where credit is due. And he picked a team that, as you said, Cameron, had the right pieces and was being held back by a turnover machine. Yep. Um, as as far as he threw the ball and as great an option as he would be for the Saints, he was a turnover machine. So it's like one of those obvious calls. And, you know, he's 43. Fair play. Yeah. If you're that old and you're still slinging the ball 60 yards in the field, you must be doing something right. So, and it's a perfect scenario for him now that he, you know, they've got the Super Bowl. He's proved that he's still got it and they've got a chance of winning it. I have I have to say that any team that has a fake pirate ship in their stadium doesn't deserve to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> Especially if the Super Bowl is in that stadium with the fake pirate ship. I mean, what are they going to do? Are they going to throw a big tarpaulin over it or something? You know? No, I think it's just going to be a home game. It's going to be there. I'm. It's it's a home it's a home game for the Bucks. It's just and it's first the first time, time, it's time ever. ever. First time first ever, time which I think in itself is quite an achievement. Uh, on the whole conversation, incidentally, about him and Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan won six NBA championships, and he did it all in the space of like seven years. Um, and I so I, for me, you know, Michael Jordan achieved as many titles as Brady has so far in a much smaller window. So I. Tell you what, when Tom Brady appears in a movie with Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck, then he can be (laughs) distinguished as the greatest of all time. Until then... Michael Jordan is still number one. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's whole a conversation. But yeah, it's that word athlete, the greatest athlete. No danger. We've all seen that pre-draft photo. That's not an athlete. Um, the one thing that came up, and I, I talked about this one um, as well, which I think is fascinating because uh, it doesn't often happen that the, the, the Super Bowl matchup has happened during the season. But if we go back and look at this uh, in this season, in week six of the 2020 NFL season, the Bucks beat the Packers and the Chiefs beat the Bills. So if we add week six and week six, then you get to week 12. And what happened in week 12? The Chiefs beat the Bucks. So actually, not only have we had the uh, Super Bowl take place, but we've had both championship games take place during the season as well. So the numbers there are weird because week six and week six both happened. Six and six is 12. 
which puts the Bucks at, and the Chiefs together, and the Chiefs came out winners. We had the exact replica of the two games during the season. Does that, if we're looking at analytics, does that say that the, the Chiefs are going to win that one? Good, good omen for Kansas City. Good omen. Absolutely. I'm actually just, I'm just, I'm, I'm literally as we're talking, I'm rewatching the the Kansas City Buffalo game just now, and uh, I I have to say that they will be huge favourites going into that. So let's move on to that then. And Paul, were you surprised at how easy it felt for the Chiefs? I was a little bit disappointed in the Bills not being able to take a couple of more risks when they were 9-0 up. We'd basically been gifted some points. I thought they started well. But you know me, I, I tend to dismiss almost anything that happens in the first quarter because we've just seen so many NFL games where teams come back. And there's something about Kansas City in the second quarter. And I, I just think it showed how good they are. They simply said, OK, we're down. Let's just take care of it here and now. And... I was disappointed it wasn't more of a contest. Uh, and that, that was probably the thing, because normally the championship games are pretty good. The Green Bay-Tampa game didn't feel like too much of a contest because Tampa got away, and I know Green Bay got within a score, but they never looked convincing. So I was a little bit disappointed, but you've got to give a lot of credit to the way that Kansas City played. I think, you know, they, they weren't knocked off their stride going down early. Um, Patrick Mahomes did exactly what we thought he would do. I thought he played pretty well. They've got the weapons. Travis Kelsey had a, had a day, was it 13 catches? Something like that. Incredible. You know, you've then got Tyreek Hill. They didn't use Edwards Hilaire particularly much. They went with option B. And again, it just shows that you can flick the switches there. And yeah, I was just impressed with them. I think Buffalo shouldn't feel ashamed or disgraced. Um, yeah, there was a couple of bad coaching calls and things like that, but Buffalo hopefully will be there for the next few years to come. Their problem's going to be so are the Chiefs in their current form. The I I th- yeah I think the, the 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 thing with the Bills is that there's gaps in the run game. Clearly, you know Josh Allen can run, but Devin Singletary. T.J. Yeldon just didn't get anything going on the ground at all. Against the Chiefs, that's something that you're going to have to do because we know that they can cover. They did a very good job of covering Stephon Diggs. Basically took him pretty much out of the game. Cole Beasley is a great great slot receiver who can do an awful lot there, but there's not a lot of depth and talent at the wide receiver position. Um, Josh Allen has had a fantastic year. Obviously, it didn't work out for them. And, and quarters two and three, they just weren't getting anything going at all. I think the difference that you saw with Josh Allen uh, and, and the silver lining that you maybe take away from this game is actually at the end of the game, he was still, he wasn't, he was going for it and he was able to to do things. Um, we've seen Josh Allen's head go down and at that point, it's felt like he was spiraling away from what he was all about. It felt like the game got away from him and then he got it back a little bit. Now, maybe the Chiefs took the foot off the gas. I don't believe for a second in a championship game they ever would. So I'm going to give Allen credit for that. And I think he has, as a player, massively progressed. The Bills have got a quarterback that can do things for them. He can be a threat through the air. They came up against uh, a Chiefs team with a fit Patrick Mahomes. You know, for all the questions that were asked, he didn't look off his game at all. Fine, he didn't do an awful lot of running about this time, and that's maybe down to the toe, but he didn't need to. At the same time, he didn't need to do it. Um, 
and it's you look at the weapons that he's got. Tyreek Hill, you know, 172 yards, was it? Or yeah, Travis Kelsey, 13 receptions, 118 yards, and two touchdowns. And then they do things like Michael Hardman, who obviously spilled that punt uh, reception, and right away he could have been taken out of the game. I don't know if you've seen the footage, but he actually goes over to the sideline and puts his coat over his head. And, you know, Mahomes is over there. Kelsey's over there saying, you know what, dust it off, get on with it. It's adversity. You're one of us. You know, take the bull by the horns type thing. He went in the game and they got him in it right away. And then obviously he had that amazing 50-yard run. He scored the touchdown. He didn't do much else. Fine. But you could see, do you know what, they were celebrating with him. They were, as a team, they collectively grabbed him around the scruff of the neck and they put him up there and said, right, face adversity. And I think it was Kelsey said to him, do you know what, smack it in the face. That's what you do with adversity. You get up and you smack it in the face. And that's what he did. And I actually really liked to see that. I thought that was really good camaraderie um, and great teammanship. And again, that's a leader and a quarterback that came over and made sure that his guy was okay. Uh, and he contributed to that win. I think that the Bills just came up against the team. The the, the team is the the team to beat, and is is going to be the team to beat for a while. Paul nailed the phrase um, "flick the switches." That is the first time that Kansas City have won a game by more than a score since Week Eight against the Jets. So they have been playing within themselves for the better part of two and a half months, and they've they've pretty much blown the second best team in the AFC out of the water. And they've done it quite convincingly as well. They have got so many weapons. I have said throughout the season that I think that they are beatable. You can get them on an off day and they are beatable. But they ha- if everyone is clicking, they are such a well-oiled machine. It's almost impossible for them to not score points. And then you're involved in a shootout. And the way in which um, Steve Spagnolo blitzes that defence, I mean, there was more blitzes from Kansas City than there were from the other three teams combined in the championship games. Josh Allen never had much time. And I think if they had more of a running game, Buffalo, I think that that would have been negated somewhat. And they don't have a running game, let's be honest. Um, And I think to get to the next level and to beat the Chiefs, Buffalo are going to have, Buffalo are going to be back there maybe next year. They're going to be playing Kansas City next year in a a regular season game. You you need to add another weapon. And I think, you know, for for me, that weapon is get, get a running back who can help you control the clock and keep, Patrick Mahomes off the field because ultimately Kansas City can score from anywhere at any point at any time um, and the only way to do that is to stop him so uh, Buffalo's pieces are all there but I also think Sean McDermott was conservative I think he's got to go for it rather than take a field goal it's pretty much the Lafleur syndrome all over again you, you've got to you've got to go for seven points you can't take three because you're it's not going to you're not going to keep up no. yeah I mean if you look at it I mean you had so after the, the touchdown to make it 9-0, Kansas answered with a touchdown. Buffalo punt. Kansas touchdown. Buffalo punt. Kansas touchdown. You know, 21-9. <laughs> and then it was a field goal end of half. Um, they then swap field goals. And then, of course, they, they just get the two touchdowns end of the third and start of the fourth. And they take it away. I think if you're the Bills, you take a lot of heart out of it because good running backs, you don't really need to spend a first or second round pick on. So I think that's quite a good thing for them. And to get a half-decent receiver as well to support Diggs, that's not a high amount of draft capital either. So if they can scout wisely and get their draft right, 
um, you know, they can strengthen perhaps on the line uh, with a first or second round pick and actually make themselves an awful lot better with just the correct picks at wide receiver and running back. The running back has been been disappointing. It's going to be an interesting narrative, and we'll touch on it, no doubt, in next week's programme when we talk about the, the Super Bowl, that Brady goes in as the underdog. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And that's quite unusual for a guy that's got six rings. So that's going to be an interesting narrative, perhaps one of the more interesting ones. Um, I think for next week's podcast, we should also come up with what we suspect will be the worst narratives going in ahead of the Super Bowl, because normally there's some dreadful takes on things. So we'll need to think about that as well. That's that's one perhaps we could put out instead of ball bags and belters. What's going to be the worst narrative we're going to have to put up with in Super Bowl week? I think I came up with one early when I talked about Darth Vader versus Luke Skywalker. I think that's a terrible narrative. That <laughs> the question for that is then who's Yoda? <laughs> <laughs> That's Belichick, surely. Is, well, I'm not sure about green. A wee green um, munchkin. I'm not sure. But does that mean that does that make that horrible pirate ship the Death Star? Well, it does. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Can I just say about that horrible pirate ship? When I did the stadium tour. Uh, I was really looking forward to seeing the pirate ship. And as so often happens when Mitchell travels abroad, the pirate ship was shot for refurbishment. (laughs) (laughs) I never got to see it. Um, So, I mean, it is interesting. Next week, we will talk about the the Super Bowl more detail. We'll preview that. Um, What we'll do next week as well is we're going to get something out and, and... talk about our season awards next week i think that that's the good thing to do there's no pro bowl this year thank goodness for that um so we'll we'll have a bit of a get together we'll talk about the nfl scotland awards we're going to reach out to people we haven't done our nominations for weekly awards this week we are going to come out through over the next week and get people's thoughts on their you know who's the mvp of the year who's offensive rookie and all that kind of jazz so keep your eyes peeled to that on twitter and on Ca- Cameron, I'm sorry, you're being too nice. You're being far too nice about this. What we're going to do is we are going to go out on social media. We're going to smash people in the kneecaps. <laughs> and we're going to keep coming after people. We are going to hit these people in the kneecaps repeatedly until they give us the answers. And if they knock us down, we're going to get back up again. Then we're going to bite their kneecaps. I'm sure that's how it's supposed to be done. That was... We've not even talked about that, have we? Just bizarre. <laughs> Bizarre. Right, are we moving on from the championship games as if what we're doing? Uh, probably right, because um, there's a lot of stories. And I'm not... I'd, actually, I'm going to leave this one up to Charles. Charles, do we cover the Aaron Rodgers narrative? If you want. He's not going anywhere. Not think so. Is this just no. noise? Usual, no annual well, Aaron Rodgers, a little bit huffy? Yeah, yeah. I think he was pretty disappointed when he spoke in the immediate aftermath of the game. Um, and there's no fan base. Probably The only fan base, as I've said before, probably more... Um, obsessed and slightly hysterical and rabid than the Packers fan base is maybe the Eagles fan base. Um, I mean, some of the nonsense that's been on flying around on social media the last couple of days is, is quite laughable, but look, he is, he's contracted for another, at least two years, if not three years, I think he's three years. He's got a contract until 2023 um, end of the 2023 season. If they were to trade him, if he demands a trade, what do you do? There's not much you can do. I would be very surprised if he thought that he could win a Super Bowl in a better situation than the one he finds himself in. Um, ultimately, it would cost an arm and a leg with the cap to to, tr- to, to get rid of him just now or next season even. I, I fully expect him to be the quarterback next year and the year after. 
Um, and then after that, you don't know. I mean, jo- jo- drafting Jordan Love, he didn't know that they were going to draft Jordan Love. We've talked about this before. But the fact of the matter is, is that Matt LaFleur wants to keep him and he regards him as the leader of the whole dressing room. And I think ultimately what they have to do when it comes to the draft, they've got to say to Aaron Rodgers, what do you want? What do you need? What do you think this team needs to get over the hump? And he's got to be consulted because he wasn't consulted 12 months ago when they drafted Jordan Love and A.J. Dillon, who I think A.J. Dillon is going to see, we're going to see a lot of over the next couple of years because Aaron Jones is a free agent and Jamal Williams is a free agent and they, they, they have to work out a way to juggle the cap. Um, I would expect that Preston Smith might leave. He might get cut because he's not really produced it this year. Him and Zadarius Smith have got a huge cap number. Um They've signed up David Bakhtiari long-term. He's the best left tackle in football when he's fit, and I think they missed him on Sunday. So there are a lot of questions, but ultimately, we've already talked about this. The pieces are there. They just need one or two more. They need a new cornerback. There's no doubt about that. But if Rodgers was to think, I've got a better chance of winning another Lombardi trophy elsewhere, where is it going to go? Indianapolis? The Rams? Would he go to the Saints? No, he wouldn't go to the Saints. I, can't, I mean, they're, they're the in cap hell as it is. Yeah, they it's, can't afford it. Yeah, they can't afford it. Well, Green Bay's not, cap situation is not great, but it would be worse if they got rid of him. So I don't think he's going anywhere. I think it's absolute nonsense. And the cat agrees with me, by the way. She's yowling in the background. She's <laughs> saying, no, he's staying. He's staying. It feels like... But I, and I feel like I can say this because as a 49ers fan, anytime there's any Rogers trade chat, immediately San Francisco comes up in the conversation just because of the history, because of everything. Every single year it comes up that there's some kind of noise that Aaron Rodgers is going to end up wanting a trade. He's going to end up wanting to get away. San Francisco are going to come in and get, make a play. That's not happening either. It's absolutely not. One, what an, there's no scenario that Green Bay are trading to one of their conference rivals um, unless the Niners are giving up something stupid. So it just it's not happening. It's just not happening. So... Um, yeah, I, I think it's just noise and bluster. But it's fascinating. Like, I've seen there. there's a lot of chat about a lot of changes around the quarterback position. Uh, someone said that the over-under on that would be 18 out of the 32 positions might end up changing. Now, I don't think there'll be as many as 18 new starting quarterbacks um, next year in different places. But I think that that number will be double digits for sure. You look, you look at the NFC North and the quarterbacks are... Uh, Mitchell Trubisky, Matthew Stafford, He's who's leaving, yeah. and Kirk Cousins, who has time and again failed to deliver. So listen, Rodgers has got a division title more or less sewn up if he plays his cards right next season and perhaps the season after. So immediately you're guaranteed, if that's the case, and they play to their potential and all things go well, you're guaranteed with the, with the progress they've made a home playoff game, that he's in the perfect position. They just need to help him out. And I don't think that's necessarily getting a receiver, which has been the narrative for three years. I think it is just, it's little the little pieces that, that cost them at the weekend. And, you know, they're, 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 I think they need a bit of help on the on the line. The line was, was, was pretty roughed up, but it's all about juggling the cap. And as Paul will well know, I mean, New Orleans are about to enter this purgatory of, of cap issue and that they think that the salary cap's going to go down the teams have got to juggle this and there's a lot of players who are going to be free agents this year and they're not going to make the money that they think they do and there's going to be some really difficult decisions to be made a lot of the, the, these teams that have been contenders year after year 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think, yeah, we'll put that one to bed for now. It's a conversation that we can pick up later on. There is a lot to chat about with Stafford uh, and all the changes that might come there. Um, other news items that are kind of coming out at the moment, we're obviously on this head coach turnaround, Dan Campbell. Um, but here's here's the big bit, you know, the Lombardi is going to the Chargers next year. No, it's not an early Super Bowl prediction. It's Joe Lombardi's moving from the Saints quarterback position to offensive coordinator with the LA Chargers. Is he a big loss, do you think, Paul? Or do you think this? if you're going to change your quarterback coach when your quarterback retires, it's probably the best time to do it? Uh, let's be honest. If you're coaching um, Drew Brees and then you're being asked to coach Jameis Winston, I mean, it's like going from a Bentley to a ladder. Of course you're going to get out. Gee whiz. <laughs> Now, no, I didn't I, I, think I, that was another opportunity yeah, you, to have a shot at him. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> no, I mean, it's interesting. The Saints are having to rehash their coaching. You know, Dan Campbell was a rather quiet, mild-mannered, reserved assistant head coach who's now picked up with Detroit. You know, there's another change here. So, you know, change is good sometimes in an organisation. Gives you a little bit of a refresh. Um, you know, the Saints are going to be a different beast without Drew Brees. But, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens there. But... Yeah, I think, you know, I'd be interesting. I think, you know, to, to jump on what Charles said, you know, I can't understand why you don't get your best players. And I'm not just talking about Aaron Rodgers, but perhaps your team captains together. And perhaps some teams do it and discuss what you think you might need in the draft. The Texans have got a problem. You know, they're now saying, you know, Deshaun Watson wants to wanted to be involved in the selection of the head coach. Now the noise comes out to say, well, it doesn't matter. He's not going to stay anywhere the gm there has got to get him in a room talk to him and make a decision because i wouldn't be looking to placate him with a head coach he particularly likes if he's not going to stay there so i think that's a big issue now we all know the power stays in the boardroom for the personnel decisions but i think you can cross that line and have constructive conversations but as long as you make it clear you're the final decision maker. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see where the Texans go. I think that's a narrative that we'll keep an eye on. It comes down to player power at the end of the day, though, because um, I think players now in the NFL in particular have realised more than ever before that they can force trades and that they can use their personality and, and, and size of ego, if you like, at times, and size of influence to make changes. And, I mean, you've seen it in other sports, Um where top, top, top players are essentially demanding um, that they want to get a move. I mean, listen, Brady did it this year. Brady's the one that persuaded Gronkowski to come back to Tampa Bay, and and he was the one that persuaded them to sign Leonard Fournette. So it is, it's already happening. But the, yeah. if you're the general manager, then do you listen to a man with a huge ego who is beloved by millions, or do you say, you know, I'm the general manager, this is my job. I'm employed to make these decisions. And that was, I think, where ultimately where Green Bay fell down last summer is they didn't even consult him yeah. before, you know, before making the draft choices. I don't, it, it, it may well have inadvertently helped him to have a great season, but you've got to realize if you're New Orleans, for example, right, let's say Drew Brees is going to retire, which we're all, I think, expecting, you would think that they would say, Drew Brees, right, come on, who do you think we should be getting in to replace you? I'd like to think that they might be asking him and whether they are or not, I've got no idea, but he's, he's got, he's been around the block so many times. You'd think that they would consult him. It's not just the general manager's job. Yeah. yeah. Fair point. Another fair point. fascinating off season coming up. Um, right. Okay. We're just about at the end of this one. A couple of things to, to cover. 
Paul, normally we do an event for Championship Sunday. So since this podcast started, that's the first Championship Sunday we've not been able to do a live event. Obviously, a real shame we've not been able to do so. Uh, not necessarily doing an event for the quarterback as well, because we know that everybody likes to do their own thing for that. Um, what we have done, though, is we've reached out to the people at Stuart Brewing, who we've done a couple of packs with before. They've set up an exclusive uh, discount code for NFL Scotland podcast listeners. So if you use the code NFL Scotland on the Stuart Brewing website, you'll get 15% off any of their beers that they've got on there. So they've got great mini kegs. Now that is perfect for a Super Bowl. So I highly recommend get on there, get yourself a mini keg, crack it open, have it sitting next to you. You don't even need to leave your seat. Just keep pouring, keep <laughs> pouring, keep it going. And 15% off. So NFL Scotland, make sure that you use that discount code. Absolutely get it on there. And we will be reaching out this week to, to get your thoughts on our end of season awards. We're going to give the NFL Scotland uh, awards out and make sure that people know about it. So yeah, keep your eyes peeled for that one. Anything else though that's uh, tickling your fancy? Anything else we need to discuss before we wrap up? No, as I say, I think I, I was a little, a little bit disappointed with the Championship Sundays overall, which perhaps means we get a better Super Bowl. Who knows? It'll certainly be sunny in Tampa. There'll be somewhat of a crowd in there. Uh, the NFL are giving away a certain amount of tickets, which I think is a nice gesture. So, yeah, I think onwards and upwards. Let's hope for a, a great end to the season. I think we've got really interesting narratives to talk about next time out. The, yeah, the one thing I think the one thing I think we should mention, just getting away from the, the championship games, um, given the season we've had and all the all the things that have happened in the last year or so around diversity and especially given the Washington football team's trouble last season, you've got to give them a bit of credit. They've just announced that they've they've they have confirmed that Jennifer King is the first full time African American female assistant coach in the NFL. Um, and she's going to be the assistant running backs coach. Ron Rivera, I've got to say, he's candidate for coach of the year for me. He's completely changed the culture in there. That organization was an absolute shambles. And he's come in. He's obviously a minority head coach himself. He's taken a team to a Super Bowl. And you could argue that Washington are leading the way now in terms of all the good things that are happening in the league. And um, I think it's a nice story to end what's been a pretty troubling season Um you know, for and on many different accounts, and you know, we've seen a lot of, you know, a lot of players and a lot of people in the game standing up for all the stuff that went on in the summer, and that is a great story. Yeah, I I'll think... tell you, I'll tell I'll tell you what, Charles will be happier when the day comes where that isn't a story. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's very true. And and I think I think we're hopefully starting to get there. Uh, first, obviously, Robert Salah's been raised as the first Muslim head coach as well. It's good to acknowledge these firsts, but you're right. We need to get to a point where these firsts aren't, or these things aren't, aren't firsts anymore. They're just well, part and parcel of it being what it should be. The, the whole thing in life is the best person for the job should get the job. It really is that simple. And until we reach that point, then we obviously don't do things properly. I will argue till the cows come home i don't care about somebody's color creed etc etc you should always get the job on merit that's the only way you can look yourself in the mirror to know that you got that job on merit and good luck to people who get new positions and go on and make a success of it yeah absolutely and and you know what the nfl has managed to get through the season and not put off any games which to be honest i don't think any of us would have predicted that if we went back to september there's no way uh, I didn't. I personally didn't think the season would finish. Um, so it's not been 
clean. It's not been perfect. It's been, it's resulted in some odd outcomes, but they've they've achieved it, and they've not had to delay the season or anything like that. They've managed to work around their their schedules and things like that. Uh, I know if Gordon McGuinness was here, he'd have something to say, I'm sure, about it all. But, uh, <laughs> well, he's not. He's not. So, <laughs> What they so, have done, though, they, they've obviously they've said that the Combine's not going to happen this year. Mm. Um, and then, you know, players are going to have to do their own individual workouts. How that's going to affect the draft, nobody knows. But we all know who's going number one. So, <laughs> you know, it, beyond that, it, it, could make, it could mix the draft up a bit. But I don't think it's going to be normal for quite some time. So it's just nice that they're going to get, I think, what, 20,000 fans into the Super Bowl. And I think the majority of them are going to be healthcare workers and things like that. As long as there's not too many Tampa fans in there. (laughs) Hottest ticket in town, indeed. And and I think it's a really nice touch to give it to care workers as well, who have had, I mean, we've all had a really crappy year, but good grief, you know, them more so than anybody. So, uh, yeah, okay. Well, that's the full-time whistle then for episode 134. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Make sure that you follow us on social media at Scotland NFL on Twitter and search on Facebook for NFL Scotland. What can I say? We've got no football to look forward to on Sunday. That's just not on. I mean, it could be worse. The Pro Bowl could be on. So enjoy your Sunday. and We'll see you next week on the NFL Scotland podcast for Cameron, for Charles and myself. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. (laughs) 